On May 25, 1993, then-President Bill Clinton authorized the American Battle Monuments Commission to establish a World War II memorial in Washington, D.C. In September of 2001, construction began on the National Mall, and on April 29, 2004, the memorial honoring the over 400,000 Americans who died in the conflict opened to the public. Kristen Ann Haas, the author of Sacrificing Soldiers on the National Mall, describes the monument as being filled with triumphal arches and sharp-taloned eagles bearing ribboned wreaths, the high-spouting fountains of the reborn rainbow pool, and 56 festooned pillars. But that's not all. The memorial also includes a monstrous wall with 4,048 gold stars that sits quietly beside a pool of still water, inscribed with the text, Here we mark the price of freedom. But what is the price of freedom? Ultimately, the World War II Memorial serves as a site commemorating a great American victory, the defeat of fascism in both Western and Eastern theaters, and the conclusion of a violent, bloody genocide. The war resulted in the deaths of over 11 million people in concentration death camps alone, and a total of upwards of 70 million people worldwide. Why, then, is one of the bloodiest battles in global history memorialized with a series of triumphal arches, screeching eagles, and a fountain for gathering? The World War II Memorial is one of the foremost examples of how American revisionist history permeates into the public sphere. The United States entered the war eight years after the opening of Dachau, the first concentration camp in Europe, located in southern Germany. This is where 41,500 people were brutally slaughtered in an act of genocide. Eight years later. Why so long? Why does this memorial not commemorate the millions of people who were being killed while the United States turned their heads away? While they waited and did nothing? In order to further explore the World War II Memorial's role in American revisionist history within the public sphere, I've invited a guest, my good friend Rosario. Rosario is a senior at Hofstra University pursuing a degree in religion and history with a minor in LGBTQ studies. Rosario's pronouns are they, them, and they, them. As well as this, I previously conferred with another friend, Millie Hart, regarding this topic. Millie has a bachelor's degree in history and a minor in fine arts from Hofstra University and is currently pursuing a master's in library and information science and a certificate in archival studies from the University of Arizona. Millie's pronouns are she, they. Welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on. So as you know, today we're going to be talking about the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. Boo! Yeah, so true. So one thing that I've already mentioned about the World War II Memorial is that it serves as an act of revision, as it serves as a prime example of um, America's revisionist history and how that exists and can interact with the public sphere. So I know um, that I'm going to talk about how Millie has um, their examples a little bit, but I was wondering, like, what are your impressions of the memorial? Well, like, okay, so my thing is, is that the goal of a memorial is to remember sacrifice and stuff, right? Like, whatever, right? And it's like, you know, factually, the memorial is correct. We did lose that many troops, and it is very sad that those people went and fought in this war and died, right? My main issue with the memorial is that, one, it ignores the fact that the United States did not get involved until, like, way late in the war. Like, what you said in your, like, um, in your blog post and, like, you know, being someone who reads about World War II because of my thesis. It's one of those things where I'm like, 
you don't get to, like this memorial isn't a memorial it's a hero thing and it's also like <laughs> it was made by George like it was funded since Bill Clinton right but it was made in 2004 as a bid by George Bush in order to win the election the thing is is that George Bush was going to win regardless because he was the president during 9-11 um and this was very much one of those monuments that was supposed to be seen as like America stands strong because you know the Pentagon hit like the Pentagon was supposed to get hit um in 9-11 so it's like one of those things where I'm like you're not actually memorializing anything in reality in reality what you're doing is extolling first of all with the positioning of the memorial which is next to the mall of America you're saying that what are our values in the American people well one of them is capitalism that much is very 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 obvious like i.e the cold war um but like you know, like, it, you're not actually extolling any virtue here. There's nothing, it's it's empty gesture. Like, you do all of these stars, but, like, again, like, Millie was taught, we were talking about, like, earlier when we were texting, it's very much in fascist architecture. Like, the way that the monument looks. Like, it's been criticized prior to what I'm saying now, but the big arches, the pillar, it's, cl- it's neoclassical, and it's fascist design. Like, that is what, like, you can look up pictures of what like Germany looked like under Nazi rule what what Italy looked like under Mussolini and it's like these are the monuments they made because this is like it's like a historical phenomena in which a leader who is a dictator wants to call upon the past to make it seem as though that is what we are going for which is like that whole idea like not to be that person but to relate it to like 45 our current president well our soon not to be president but our current president 45 who has this like make America great again. It was never great is the problem. People are calling upon a fake past, which again calls to your whole line about like, it's historical revisionism. And as a historian, that's really annoying. Or like a historian in training, you know, I'm a senior still, but like, you know, you sit there and you have to like explain to people, well, actually monuments don't do much in reality. Like they don't actually do what you think they do. Monuments don't actually remember people. People remember people. Like people are going to remember these events and these people who died regardless of whether or not there is a stone monument in the United States, you know? But we've created this narrative of like loss and sacrifice when in reality we didn't lose that much. Not to say that these people weren't worth anything, but like we didn't enter the war until way late game you know and then we acted like oh we want all this stuff and it's like we turned away a boat of jewish refugees you know like we're we interned japanese americans you know it's like one of those things where it's just like you sit there and you claim a thing because you put something up i.e the world war ii memorial but in reality what you're doing is building a monument to your power you know like nobody's gonna fuck with us because we quote unquote won world war ii there was no like and like this is my hot take, but there is no really winning a war in this like day and age, you know, like you can't, you win a war by killing every single one of your opponents, you know, and that's why the cold war happened after world war two, because we had come to this attrition and realized that, Oh, there are other big dogs on the block and you can't like do what Teddy Roosevelt said, which is carry a big stick and talk softly. You know, you can't be the cop of the world at some point. And it's like, America wants that. And like, part of that memorial was to make it look like we had this whole facade of heroism and in reality like you know we're awful we're like (laughs) we're like attention seekers and like valor stealers you know like stolen valor you know we make a big deal out of it but it's like you know what is america doing with its history yeah i think that's so true i think i actually saw a um 
Uh, I saw something earlier that was like since like nineteen like forty five, the United States has like taken part in like seventy government coups, which is like insane. Yeah, well, people forget because that like, America. People forget about Bush and like, was it Daddy Bush or Baby Bush? One of the Bushes. Um, I don't quote me on this. This is very much more of Michelle's area of expertise. Um, <laughs> but you know, during the, one of the Bushes, I'm pretty sure it was was a Baby Bush. I think it was Daddy Bush. Um, they were in Colombia. Like, they're part of the reason that there was a civil war in Colombia, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. The whole, like, coca trade uh, and the idea that you were starting, stopping drugs. And it's like, you weren't doing anything but terrorizing, like, black people. Let's be honest here, George Bush. Yeah. Um, and one thing I, like, that I kind of picked up when you were talking is monument the wall with the gold stars it is inscribed with the text here we mark the price of freedom which i think is incredibly um kind of tone deaf honestly because it just says here we mark the price of freedom but it's like well what was was the price of freedom like the 60 plus million people who like died because the united states refused to get involved in this conflict like i have in my blog post but Dachau opened in 1933. The United States didn't join until the war until 1941. The last camp wasn't liberated until 1945. Yeah. So that's a, that's 12 yeah. years of avoidable deaths that the United States like refused to enter. And there's no mention of that in this memorial. That's this space for like public gathering and like conversation, but not even conversation. It's a place like when you're walking along the National Mall, you can be like, wow, yeah, look at that pretty like, fountain. Like my all of those people. With, like, one of my who... biggest issues with monuments and like memorials, like more so with monuments in general, is that they're not actually history. You know, like it's not a museum. You know, like it's not, it doesn't have anything there of weight to learn or to experience. It's very much like it's a fountain. Like what you were saying, it's a fucking fountain. You have to go up to it to find out what it is. And even when you find out what it is, it's very flat. It presents this idea, like, my main issue with monuments is that it presents this flattened version of history. It, it presents the idea that history is about a bunch of dead people, and that's all that it is. And I'm like, history is so much more than that. It's like different connections across the globe. Like, once you start learning about history, you start realizing, oh, this isn't an insulated, in- like, this isn't like a, a singular incident. This isn't something that just happened. Like, America runs this narrative as if we are the only people who have ever lost anything ever, which is very much the same narrative of, like, a little kid who fucking trips and like their ice cream falls over you know you start like it's a little kid so the kid's gonna fucking cry you know because like it's ice cream and that's the only thing they're thinking about but in reality everybody drops ice cream all the time and in this situation tons of other nations lost many more people than we did and that's not to say you know equating the number of deaths to the number of tragedies so on and so forth but it's more of a like there's this narrative that no matter what we do it's the most we've ever lost no matter what and it's like I hate to break it to you, but that's not how it works. And it's like the whole narrative of like, this is the price of freedom. No, it's not. You didn't free anybody. You didn't do anything. You know, like after World War II ended, like what you said, those people, like 1941 is when the United States entered the war, right? They didn't even go and try to liberate camps yet. They went in 19, 1945 is when the people of Dachau were like liberated. And that wasn't like, they waited, you know, they waited to go to the camps. Like that's one of the historical facts they leave out of World War II. You know, troops waited to go to Dachau and like, uh, like all of the death camps and like Auschwitz to like go and be like, oh, you're free now, by the way, the war is over. You know, these people didn't fucking know, which is wild. I'm like, that's the first place you go, in my opinion. Like, 
as like a rational person who like understands that imprisonment is not only fucking wrong, but like the global prison industrial complex is evil. If somebody's imprisoned in a death camp, that's the first place you fucking go. You go there and you say, hey, by the way, war's fucking over. You know? You don't just like just fucking yeah i think them. that's like awful that's ugly that's wrong and that's like the price of freedom what the hell is the price of freedom to you nobody's free here absolutely nobody is free here like i'm not going to be led into this delusion of grandeur of like freedom or whatever like when this is a country built upon the labor of enslaved black people and like on the graves of indigenous people who had their land taken from them which is, again, another part of the irony of it all is that, like, on the Washington, D.C. Monument website, you can read about the history of archaeology in Washington, D.C., and they talk about the fact how indigenous people, like, used to live in D.C. because it used to be all marshland. And I was like, okay, so, and, like, in the exact language on the article, which fucks me up every time I read it, it says, occupied this area. Girl, they weren't occupying anything. They lived there. Like, friend pal buddy they lived there fully like and they weren't doing anything to anybody you just stole that land from them and like probably buried them on that land anyway you know it's just wild like the idea of freedom the yeah. idea of like this is the price of freedom that's not the price of freedom that's not the price of freedom price of fascism maybe but that's the price that's not yeah. the price of freedom i do think there's something to be said as well about the waiting to go in and free the camps and like the fact that America refuses to really acknowledge um, the Japanese internment camps that they had here just because like I know I took AP US history in high school and I had to like go out of my way and do my own research because that's just not involved in the retelling of history which is like truly insane to me um, but yeah that's one thing and then um, on like another note about kind of more stuff you mentioned um maya lynn who was the creator yes, of the vietnam veterans cool. memorial she's, like that story is, is really quoted cool as saying she won it in like yeah school, she's really she, she like designed it That's uh right. she was yeah. she was 20 years she, old like, at yale she, when it was she like an anonymous it. thing right they, um, like, they like sent out a survey to a bunch of people and were just like would you like to design a u.s monument and she won and everyone was just like why and she was like interesting <laughs> Yeah, um, she's actually quoted as saying that um, the cost of war is these individuals and we have to remember them first. It's really the people and not the politics. And she's also quoted as saying that spaces of memorial are meant to exist to accept and admit that pain has occurred, which I think is very clear yeah. in the Vietnam um, memorial because, you know, it like it's this really, so I kind of mentioned, it's this really solemn, solitary individual, like, you sink into the ground with, like, the weight of all of these deaths, um, and it's a really powerful statement, because it's, like, this was a horrible war, and people died, but it's not saying that in the way it should be, because, you know, we should have never entered Vietnam, obviously, like, there was it was no just point to it. such a horrible thing, like, there terrible, no we should never should have entered, yeah, there's no point, but it's not making that point, it's making the point, like, look at all these Americans who died, I'm like, yes, look at all these Americans who died, because classically their government it's failed that, them, like, like the, the part about the Vietnam just War in... that I think rattles people so hard, oh, my hair falling apart, um, <laughs> but, um, I think the part that really rattles people is the fact that you kind of have to look at the Vietnam War and be like, it, there was no winning, first of all. There was no winning in the Vietnam War because we should have never been in the war in the first place. But second of all, 
one of our more blatantly fascistic, like, out, out, you know, outside of Latin America, or like, you know, like, yeah, outside of Latin America, that was one of our most blatantly fascistic attempts to overtake a country. And like, it's one of those moments where like, if you look at it from a perspective that isn't centered around America, you sit there and you're just like, okay, a large foreign power, what is essentially steaming like rolling up to be the most powerful western power in the 20th to the 21st century walks into your country instills a president and then says we are going to war with the like with the people of this nation because we don't like communism like are you absolutely fucking with me that's ridiculous that's batshit like you sit there and read it and then you're just like oh well you know america lost and it's like we should have never been involved we should have never sent people. And it's another thing where you realize the people who die in most of these wars, like specifically in like 20th century and going on, are black people. They're black people. They're immigrants. They're like, they're like Latino. Like they're like, and not like white Latino, but like, like people who are very obviously like not white, you know, and you have all these people dying. Like, like my dad was in the Vietnam War. And it's one of those things, he doesn't talk about it, you know? Like, my dad's oldest, my dad was old as shit, and he was in this war. He didn't talk anything about the Vietnam War. Never said shit about it, you know? And it's one of those moments where you're like, holy moly. Like, you send all these people over, and then you sit there, and you're just like, oh, yeah, the government didn't fail you. And I think that's one of the reasons why I always laugh when people are like, LBJ was treated so unfairly after JFK. And I'm like, bro, LBJ deserved to have a, have you ever heard of the LBJ chant? Which is one of my favorite things in history. Like, I don't know why, but it's really funny. <laughs> so, no, I've never heard of LBJ. I think was getting off a plane or like went to go greet people or fucking something. He was like doing a publicity of like he was doing a publicity thing, and he's going and he's there and it's like this whole thing. And it's like the president of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, and Lady Bird Johnson, his wife. Um, so a bunch of protesters showed up, and there's this chant. It's my favorite chant. It made LBJ cry. Um, LBJ, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Um, and it was specifically because of the atrocities of Vietnam War. <laughs> yeah, and that's crazy because that's a chant that um, yeah, no. you hear at protests like to this day. Um, I think it might I have originated it somewhere else, but I do really know it was super popular because LBJ's name like fit with the rhyme. Yeah, the best. Like LBJ, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? And it's like, that's really hot. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah, I think you also mentioned how, um, you know, Vietnam vets like really like refused to kind of talk about the war because of how terrible it was. But I think there's also something to be said there about the way that the United States really like sensationalizes the, um, y- you know, the Second World War. Um, Millie said, actually, um, she said World War Two is used as like a political piece to be like, ah, yes, but the U.S. saved the world. Like, the United States also lost lives in World War II, but it doesn't seem to be honored in the same way. And I think there's something to be said there about the United States being like, oh, well, like, we won World War II. Like, yeah, like, you know, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people died, but we won. But then if you talk to, like, you know, like, someone who survived, like, the death camps or who lost family members in the camps, it's going to be an, an incredibly different retelling because – you know, the the world, like, failed the people who are being, like, genocided in those camps. Like, the world often does fail people. But I think um, it's interesting to look at how this memorial, again, is this big, bright, shining place. But if you go up to, like, you know, like, um, 
I, I have, you know, I have relatives who died in um that war. But if you go up to people and they're like, yeah, like, you know, I don't know. I think obviously immediately like Ellie Wiesel, who in um, Night is just like, there's there's no words to be said about how like how bad humanity can fail itself. Yeah. So I think, I think um, that's also because when Millie said that, point. I was really like thinking about it because uh, Millie is right. Like, there's this whole idea around like talking about war in that you can somehow not talk about it like like it very much when people tell you about war it comes out as like this big like gallant fairy tale there are heroes there are villains everybody's like on a side or you're not on one side or whatever and it doesn't really do the complexity and the the atrocity of war justice because in reality like what you were saying about people in like death camps it's like these people weren't fighting a war you know like they weren't fighting a war this wasn't a war yet when it came to them you know it was it was it was a it was it was it was like the worst part of like life and that wasn't a war they weren't fighting anything you know like they fought like after like when people like obviously they were fighting like discrimination anti-semitism everything like that but they weren't in a war they were trying to like they weren't fighting a war they were surviving a war and that's like that's the part I think people forget. Yeah, they were truly. You know, there are people like, who don't of a want to fight for yeah. good reason. People who ran from the Vietnam draft for good reason. Because why would you want to go fight for a country that's done nothing for you? For a country that did nothing for anybody ever, except for itself, and even then, to an extent, only for certain individuals of this country. You know, it's not. It's it's not. It's just, it's a narrative that's so toxic and awful, and it feeds into this, like, toxic nationalism that America has. It's just, it's awful, and it's inappropriate, and I just, I think, as a historian, it makes me sad, but as a human being on a level, it just, it makes me angry, you know? Yeah, which I think is, like, a valid reaction to have to it, like, again, especially, you know, War obviously comes hand in hand with atrocity. Like war itself is an atrocity. So I just think um, that you know when you look at World War II as opposed to like Vietnam, it's really like such a stark image. Like you know when you think of Vietnam too, like obviously you think about how horrible it was, like the atrocities that occurred. Like, but you also think about like jfk saying like ask not what you can what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country or whatever it's like well no like why would i ask what i can do for my country when my country continually like fails me and people like me and like you know like black people and you know stuff like that so it's just crazy that the united states is such like a nationalist like hoorah like we're the united states we're the greatest empire like on earth ever when it i think that's also something that i really that i really think about when i think about like history in general is that people want history to be this big valiant thing like they want it to be like heroes and monsters and and villains and like plots and armies and kings and empires and and that's it's upsetting because one, that's not how history works. And two, that's not what happens in the world. You know, like nobody, like, I think the number one thing you learn as a history major is kill your heroes before they try and fucking indoctrinate you. Like, 
I don't know how many men I've met in history, in my history major, that one, I didn't like, and two, that actively exalted people and would excuse the absolute atrocities they would commit simply because they were, quote unquote, important to history. They're not important to history. History doesn't care. You know, history doesn't give a shit. You know, it's, it's history is this abstract, amorphous thing that's kind of always around that nobody wants to listen to. But it's not, history is a miserable thing, you know, and people want it to be a, a, a brighter thing. They want it to be squeaky clean and shiny in one way narrative when that's not, first of all, that's not how history works again. But it's also just, it's not, it, it's impractical to think of the world that way, you know, like it's, it's impractical to impose morales onto certain things and then not apply them when you think about people like you can't sit there and say I guess I'll just use this example because you know I hate everything and I love to bring up the fact that I was so heavily traumatized by this historical figure um Thomas Jefferson who's traumatized enough people as is um so many people are willing to absolve that man of guilt um he's dead uh it doesn't matter um second of all and first of all and second of all um he's awful he's awful it's just it's very easy to read like i'm not gonna say it now because it's like fucking awful to talk about but you know when you google him you know like trigger warning you know sexual assault slavery like violence against like black women black girls like it's he's not a good man he's also a crackpot like he wasn't able to keep steady on a single political opinion in his entire fucking career and he was known for it all right like i probably could have beat that man in a fight but anyway it's one of those things where like I don't know. History is is a miserable, yeah. dismal thing. It can be really interesting, which is why I love it. But and it can also be an incredibly uplifting thing because you learn about where people were and where they are now. You get to learn about revolutionary movements, about people, revolutionaries, thinkers, the way that like people have subverted narratives and expectations, have like waged war against the people who have hurt them, um, fought for their rights, you know, like completely separated themselves from the narrative and said, you know what, I'm not dealing with you right now. I'm going to do this my own way, you know? But it's also one of those things where you kind of, when you become a historian, when you decide you're going to study history for the rest of your freaking life, you kind of have to embrace the fact that it's not fun. It's it's really hard and it's really sad because in general, the his- history is just a series of unfortunate events that just continually happen because people don't care. You know, in some aspect, not all people, but, you know, the people with a lot of power tend to not care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um, like kind of a, you know, perfect segue into why the World War II Memorial is so like horrible because it doesn't acknowledge any of that. It's just like. um, Yeah, it's like a it's like a glamorization of history. Like I also when you were talking, I was just thinking about um. You know, there's, like, the, you know, ever-popular phrase, like, oh, like, history repeats itself or make sure history doesn't repeat itself. Like, how can you ensure that when you're not learning, like, the true correct history of something, like, the overall overarching history of something? Because, like, the United States, you know, education system is just, like, America's so great, like, um, but not even, like, America's so great, just, like, you know, like, um, we're really good at, like, imperialism and, like, being horrible basically but then somehow trying to posit that in like a really good shining bright light yeah which is like unreal um but kind of just to close things out um I was just thinking 
you know, again, like bringing it back to the World War II Memorial and how, you know, it, it as we've mentioned like multiple times, it does exist as this like public it's space, a big ass, right? This it's like a big really ass big like fountain. place. I I went and Googled what it yeah, looked and it's like right from, like, in an the aerial middle. View, and I was mm-hmm. like, damn, and, like, it's big as shit. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. And like I think it's so interesting because um, you know, like you're when you look at a memorial, you're supposed to like Millie said, yeah. you're supposed to really come Which face to face like, the totality like, of it. Memorials, um, like and I like, think my example was like, you know that lesbian couple that like this uh, one of them is a sculptor or whatever, and she sculpted them in bed because she didn't think she would ever get married to her wife. You know, and then they did, and it was really beautiful, but now it's like, you know, it's gonna be their grave marker. But it's like one of those things where it's like it's supposed to make you think about life, you know, it's supposed to make you think like, oh shit, you know, like sometimes people die for reasons that are beyond their control, you know? Um, but it's like this doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. I think um and the World War II Memorial refuses to let that kind of reckoning reckoning and reckoning, sorry, reckoning and realization occur because it just doesn't offer, like, a really nuanced perspective. Like, again, it doesn't even make mention of, like, the millions of people who died because the United States refused to enter the war. Or the millions of people the United States, like, died at the hands of the United States. Like, the United States ultimately has blood on its hands from every, every, yeah. every trust the in United the world. States like, can look it smell, up. Like, like, States I, I, I think <laughs> like, of it as, like, the United just, like, States can smell possible civil unrest, war, anything like that, like a shark in water. You know? Yeah, that is truly, it's the blood to its shark, yeah. Thank um, you for inviting me, I love you so all much. Alright, well, thank you so much. You're, yeah, I love you too, this is so <laughs> wonderful, I feel like I know so much more, um, and yeah, this is really wonderful, yeah, so I'm gonna end this recording right was- now. Ultimately, the World War II Memorial should serve as an act of reckoning. It should allow us to look and realize the mistakes of our past and understand how to correct them. American revisionist history refuses to allow this to happen, as if we don't fully understand the concept of our past, we'll never be able to improve our future. Thank you so much for listening. I would also like to thank Rosario and Millie for joining me today and fully discussing the impact of this monument and how it interacts with other monuments and with the public as a whole.